0: Hello, and welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Zane. And we're talking about LA Confidential today. Yes. A film we picked out of a lineup, pretty much. Yes. Um, looking for something to watch after we uh, talked about the other thing. The Charlie Kaufman thing. It was on Amazon Prime. I'd never seen this before. No. In fact, I didn't even really know it was about cops. I mean, I guess it had a crime edge to it, but I mm. thought it was about, um, like, movie stars really so I, it was a sort of surprise to me actually what the film turned out to be about um, you clearly have seen this before I've
1: seen it before yeah um, and I liked it very much actually well, I've always liked it but I've never been tempted to revisit it you've only really seen it the once then so I saw it once uh, uh, when it came out um, 97 97 and I liked it very much actually but this is the first time I've seen it in what 20 odd years you know 23, 23 years. years yeah um I've forgotten much of it. Hmm. And the things that I remembered impressed me still. Right. <laughs> okay, know. well, we'll get into them. So the uh, story
0: is about... It's, um, it's a noir of sorts, and we'll get into that, I think. Yeah, it's um, definitely...
1: It's a noir noir. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You
0: know. It's set in and around the um, LAPD in the 50s. Yeah. In um,
1: 53, very specifically. Is it?
0: Yeah. All right, I didn't pick up on that. Um, so there are these three cops. There's um, Russell Crowe. Uh, who has a real agenda uh, against uh, men who beat up women, and yes. he kind of turns Incredible Hulk whenever that happens, and he can't yes. s- stop himself from you know yes. beating them up. And so he's um, he's not exactly by the book. There's um, Kevin Spacey, who's a kind of a superstar cop in some respect. People seem to know him, and he has this relationship with uh, a magazine which yeah. is called Hush Hushness, and it's based on a magazine it's called based, confidential,
1: it's based on confidential,
0: which was a real magazine, and yeah. there was a famous photo of. Which movie star was it who had the marijuana bust? Robert Mitchum, right. So and the, and the, and a marijuana bust is set up and happens here for the magazine. Yes. Right? that's how you're introduced to this relationship that he has with the magazine. The magazine is run by Danny DeVito. Yes, who's fab. Oh, it's fab? Yes, um, just joy whenever you see him in anything, really. Uh, and the third cop is uh, Guy Pierce, who's young. He's really by the book. I mean, he wears glasses. If mm. there was any kind of greater sort of symbolic uh, <laughs> signifier that you're a nerd, yes. he's wearing glasses and he has a he has a very revealing conversation and very kind of blatant conversation right at the start with the chief who's played by um, James Cromwell, mm. where James Cromwell's asking him, are you willing to beat people up and, mm. and do all this extrajudicial stuff in order to you know get justice and get your man and he says no i won't do that yeah i mean it's like people saying oh this is a fantastic script some of it i think is a bit <laughs> on the nose <laughs> but basically these three cops they come into conflict they come into tanglement. An they don't just join up and go off with it it's a it's a real ensemble piece and it's a real ensemble story in that you know kind of characters are are joined up at different times and they you know, separated at different times the first thing that happens really is that guy pierce um, is willing to testify against the entire LAPD for beating up a load of uh, Mexican civilians in the cells, which I think is based on a real thing as well. Was I don't a, know, but it must have been. I think it's called Bloody Christmas, right, okay. which happened in '51, which was pretty much the same thing, and a lot of cops went down for it and that sort of thing. Right. In this, Guy Pierce is willing to testify against a lot of them because he wants to see justice. The entire police force is immediately set against him. I mean, it really made me think of just, I think, this week or... Yeah, it was just this week, had the grand jury for Breonna Taylor's uh, murderers. Um, Breonna Taylor was the woman who was killed in her own house by some cops who decided it was you know up to them to shoot whoever. And I think the cops... The only cop or cops that had indictments against them in the grand jury were those who shot through walls. The grand jury has proven that property is more important in America than the lives of black people. Mm. So it really made me think of that. like, oh, And... and so much of, of um, what's been going on in the last, well, few years really, but especially in the last few months mm. since Black Lives Matter um, kind of started protesting and, and and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor were killed. Mm. Um, there's a lot in this about the police. Yes. Uh, closing ranks.
1: Yes. Um, it's based on a James Elroy novel and it's actually it's part of a very, very famous series of novels set in L.A., Called the LA Quartet. Right. Yeah. I think the most famous one is probably The Black Dahlia. Yeah, which is based on the Black Dahlia murder. So Was um, the film the Black Dahlia? Based, based on that on as well. That as well yeah. Right, okay. So it's an imaginary world, but that's based on real LA crime history, right? Yeah. So if you're uh, familiar with the history of LA Yeah, you'd be familiar with these incidents and these cases and you know, certainly if you're familiar with, you know, movie history you definitely get a lot more pleasure out of what you're seeing because, you know, you can, you, you can know who Lana Turner is, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and who Johnny Slampanato is and things like that. Um, I think for me it kind of worked as a narrative. I mean, you know, I was very surprised by uh, the twists and turns, yeah? So, mm-hmm. it's a film that I've seen before, but obviously it's so long ago now that, you know, all the twists and turns kind of surprised me and kept me in suspense and so on. And um, in comparison to the Kaufman film, by the way, this was such an easy watch. Right? It's not. <laughs> it's not one of those films where you're you're tempted to put the pause button on and get a coffee and you know. I could, no, that's true. You know, I I I mean, we interrupted it a couple of times because I had other things to attend to, but I could just as easily have sunk into it and watched it all the way through without blinking. Mm. Right? It really holds and grabs your attention, uh, which is you know a major achievement actually. I think is. You know, I don't know about you but for me it's 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 actually getting rarer and rarer, the films that really hold me like that, particularly at home.
0: I don't know if that's getting getting rarer for me really, although I do I so sometimes I just kind of tend to watch things I already like. So I know yeah, you know, so but I, um I don't know about new watches really, I've never really thought about it. Um this in particular I think probably held my attention slightly less than yours, although I think some of it I was just kind of competing with the complexities of the plot and the number of characters to keep up with and even by the end I was still not sure who one of the characters was.
1: Well I um, think you disliked the um
0: what's his name? Well I really, really dislike the Russell Crowe character, but not yeah. not him personally. I dislike his construction, his entire conceptualization.
1: Yes, I don't I know. Really. But what I'm trying to say is that you disliked it so much but actually, the film had to win you over in a level that it didn't have to win me over yeah <laughs> it might be time done. he did something you were like oh, <laughs> yeah no <it's>, uh, <laughs> but it, yeah
0: but it, <laughs> that's true but it, but it was kind of compartmentalized like i i didn't you know I, I wasn't distracted by hating him to the point where even when he wasn't there i was like hating him in the background you know it's only when he showed up and did something i thought oh he's doing the thing again
1: yes you um know. And actually, it's, it's interesting because I was reading that that is the character that they kept most of from the novel. You know? Right. And it's a bit to its detriment because, you know, so I think it's a very, very good screenplay. But actually, I think it's a, a testament to uh, Russell Crowe's achievements as an actor that he overcomes what is a really badly drawn character. I mean, I, you know, and I say it's badly drawn because it's too packed. Right, so like you said, he's like a, an incredible Hulk kind of character who can't contain himself when it comes to men abusing women, right? And mm-hmm. then you're given this backstory. but well, the reason he's like that is because his mom was the victim of domestic violence, right? And then, you know, it turns out that he can't control himself with his <laughs> own, with the, the women he loves either. So, you know, it's just about this guy who can't control himself. And which, nonetheless, the film at the end kind of rewards and gives him a happy ending, not even questioning whether he can change or what's changed about him or will he hit her again. Um, yeah, literally the only kind of redeeming thing
0: to him, really, in the whole film. Well, I mean, I suppose, I guess, at the at a basic level, you like the fact that he can't contain himself when he uh, is confronted with men, abusing women because he's kind of it's it's the right thing to be appalled by that but you know he overdoes it and he um and he loses it and everything and then of course there's that sort of quote unquote ironic part where um when the guy Pierce character sleeps with his girlfriend he finds out um then he hits her mm. um so you know kind of he becomes what he hates and yes. isn't that clever um but then, the kind of, I suppose the redeeming thing is that he doesn't kill Guy Pierce. <laughs> like he's like you think he, he's really, really going to. Mm. And 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 Guy Pierce says as much it to him. They've sent you here to kill me. That's why they showed you this photo. Mm. And the fact that he doesn't is like, oh, maybe he can control himself. But it's I don't like really anything about how that character's conceptualized.
1: But Russell fantastic, though, because he really, yeah, he is very good. He makes you, you know, that scene where he's. Walking in the rain, he's just discovered that the woman he loves has slept with mm. another guy, but he doesn't know that he she did it for him. But he I doesn't mean, get to be as subtle as he
0: can be in his best roles. Oh no, I think, I think it's,
1: I think I think he's great actually. I think he's good,
0: but I, I think, think th- other roles have offered him a lot more opportunity to be better. Well, you know, like,
1: the role is too pat, but he is great with it actually. Mm. I think. Uh, in fact, you know, I think everyone in the film is great. Uh, I think Kim Bassinger. She's so interesting to watch because you know there's that expression of the bruised blonde. Right. She kind of epitomizes it, right? Like you know, she's really, really beautiful, mm. very sexy, and yet there's something like so sad about her, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. Which which obviously fits in with the character, but I think it's also part of her persona. Yeah. Think, mm. uh, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, her her whole character is she's been she's been given surgery to look like blonde. No, she uh, hasn't.
1: She says she hasn't.
0: That's right. I beg your pardon. That's right. But uh-huh. she's she's part of a. Um, She's part of a company, Fleur de Lis, I think it's called. Yes. That has women subjected to um, medical procedures to make them look like movie stars. She's one who's avoided that, but she still works for this agency. She's a prostitute. Yes. So, so men it who looks
1: has, like a Veronica Lake lookalike. Yeah. But who comes by it naturally, rather than like the Rita Hayworth impersonator who had to have you know, yeah. plastic surgery,
0: right? And it leads to a very funny Lana Turner joke as well.
1: Yes. And this, ostensibly, there was a brothel in Hollywood... Which provided lookalike, alike um, Right. Look-alike. So this is also something that's based on, mm. you know, kind of uh, 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 real uh, stuff in L.A.
0: And then her thing is is she works this place, but, you know, everyone wants to have sex with Veronica Lake. No one wants to have sex with mm. Kim Battinger, or whatever her character's name is. You know, and the one guy who does is the guy who ends up hitting her in the face. It's all very complex and brooding.
1: Well... <laughs> I mean, you know, um, I, th- I, think, I think the Russell, the characterization of the Russell Crowe character, to me, is the only weak link, really, mm. because it's too facile, it's too pat, it's too ordered. Uh, so maybe it's a good thing, actually, that, um, you know, the Guy Pierce character and... Um, Spacey. Yeah, Kevin Spacey, uh, you know, had less borrowed from... The novel though actually I'm surprised because you know James Elroy, I think is a great novelist, so you know I'm sure that uh, all of the characters are more complexly drawn mm. uh, in the novel um, I like the other thing I like about Kim Basinger, I suppose you kind of alluded to this is
0: um, it, it is her look and her, and her look really communicates like the glamour. Of yes. the period, the smoky, yes. femme fatale glamour. Yeah. well, it's not what she is, but it has that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, she has that. I mean, and she has that very much in this, actually. And of course, it is dark. It's a small town girl, you know, who goes to LA to be an actress and ends up like a hooker, mm. you know. Um, so it's kind of all overladen with like sadness and corruption and, you know, and so on. Um, you know, uh, so so the film does have all the elements of noir. Right, kind of, there's murder and there's deviant in quotation marks sexualities and, you know, and sex for sale and drugs and, you know, every, Mm. you know, there's all these attempts to market the police department as like upstanding citizens and, you know, obeying the rule of law and everything that you see is like corrupt and up for sale and up for grabs, you know, so. Everything apart from a tragic or downbeat ending? Um, I think you over. Estimate the ending because I mean you know kind of in some ways I don't understand the ending right you know because um, the Russell Crowe character wasn't he meant to be dead he so, gets
0: shot very badly and, and in a way that you would think he's got pretty dead from this and then it's revealed that he's alive and very badly
1: wounded yeah so but then they're moving to um, to Tennessee is it Arizona Arizona. So, was he left for dead? Is he meant to be dead? Uh, is he now no longer a cop? Has he been kicked out of the force? Mm. Has he been pensioned out of the force? I mean, I think actually that's an important element that somehow isn't resolved. Yeah, it's, well, it's not resolved at yeah. all. It's,
0: that's it. It's no, there's lines of dialogue missing there that would
1: yeah <laughs> convey that. So, um, so mm. So, that looks neat, but isn't necessarily so. And then, of course, the Guy Pierce character, you know, again, it looks neat, but it isn't. He basically lied. he made a hero of the guy who killed his father, right um you know who 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 actually does end up getting away with it. I mean, he ends up dead, but he ends up being perceived as a hero by everyone else. uh, you know, he maneuvers this thing onto a promotion, right? So you know, kind of in a way justice is kind of done but it kind of isn't done Mm -hmm. and certainly not the way that he would have imagined he'd done at the very beginning of the film so he has himself been corrupted by the process yeah and he
0: says i'm playing ball with them because they're using me i'm using them for a bit that's right so Um, you know that's something he wouldn't have said at the beginning true james Cromwell didn't kill his dad though um he just kind of ends up representing the guy who killed his dad okay yeah So. So the guy who killed his dad is this Rolo Tomasi, I think, who's just the name he gave to the guy. He's never going to find him, but the, what he represents is the guy who gets away, gets with, away it.
1: with it. Yeah, gets Yes, okay, yeah. I got that, yeah. Yeah. So, um... um
0: I but, love- but still, there's an upbeat feeling to that ending, I think. Despite those complications, you know, he gets to go off with the girl. Well, but, it's sunny outside. But noir's... <laughs> And I'll, they've defeated the corruption Yeah,
1: but to noir, a point. Noirs often lead you with an upbeat feeling. Mm. So, you know, you know the world is corrupt, but also you know some people get away with it, or some people have a good time with it. I mean, at the end of Gilda, you know, kind of Rita Hayworth and Glenn Ford kind of waltz off, you know. Um, and many noirs, actually, you know, there's this impression of a happy ending rather than a real happy ending. And this is a classic case of it, because it's an impression of a happy ending, that, if, you know, the more you dig, the less happy it become, so to speak, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think you might have a point, but it still feels like too much of a victory for me to be kind of all in on it. you're
1: so judgmental, you know. I'm a film critic. (laughs) And Russell Crowe, the Russell Crowe character got you from the beginning, a guy who hates (laughs) women. It's just so
0: simple. I mean, Mm. come on, that's like... I I do understand um, why this won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. I understand why it's such a respected screenplay. It's very, very tight... Really. I mean, even though you say at the end, actually, there's this missing thing with Russell Crowe, which I think is right. Um, still, kind of details... Yeah, kind of... These are brought up and come back in the right places. And yes. I like the way that the three main characters, the three cops, are interwoven, in that, you know, their stories their stories are separate and they follow different cases, but they interlink and they kind of have competing agendas and then they turn into the same agendas. You know, particularly, like, for instance, um, when... Spacey and Pierce mm. join up, and Pierce has this thing about convincing Spacey to do the right thing, which I think yes. is a wonderful bit and a wonderful line where he says, "You know, he says why 'Why'd you become a cop?'" And he says, "Pierce says this thing about Rollo and I never want to let that guy get away with it." Mm. And he says, "Why'd you become a cop?" And I really was wondering what Spacey would say. Yes, and a brilliant line. And that he says, about... "I don't remember." Yeah, I mean, what a great line! Yeah, and then he t- goes to do, to do the right thing. Um,
1: um, anyway, we haven't talked at all about the way the film looks and i think in this film it's just as important Mm. as almost anything else because it is a noir but it's a noir in color and it's an la noir so actually it's also very sunny Mm -hmm. uh you know it's kind of it's full of like modern houses and great decor and costumes and so on but they're almost all light. Certainly, the ones that the protagonist wears, the Kim Basinger character wears, mm. and you and it's often filmed in daylight, right? And yet, you know, kind of along the edges, you do have all those other elements of of noir. Yeah, the lighting, you know, the blinds kind of hitting. Often, kind of, you know, characters are uh, filmed through screens through the reflections on the screens, mm. right? Um, yeah you get you also get dark moments in motels in closed spaces and yeah in the um, cool space
0: under the house yeah you see the dead body
1: so that sense of corruption kind of you know seeps through like the whole film you know often through the edges through corridors through underneath yeah the the mm. body of the house or uh uh you know uh the the systemic racism that you see uh in the film um the duplicitousness, yeah, uh, it's, uh, uh, it, it's, it's all there. There's one shot in particular that I really
0: loved. I mean, I was looking for shots that I loved, and I didn't see many, although I liked the kind of overall aesthetic design. Mm. I think I found it quite appealing. Um, but the one shot that I love is when Guy Pierce is um, in the interrogation room. At the end, he's wrapping up, and he's telling everyone, here's what we've discovered and so on. And he's just talking to two cops, but outside behind the two-way mirror, there's—is it the DA, someone else, and a bunch of other guys? And they're all just like they're like um, they're like the decision makers, you know. Yes. And and so he can't see them, but he absolutely knows that they're there. He's telling this story, and the shot is from outside. It's looking at the two-way glass, so you see him, and then above him you see this you know, chorus of decision-makers reflected, and they really look like they're standing behind and over here, and it's a beautifully orchestrated thing. Yeah. The film has a lot of
1: has a lot of those, and also in ways that are very clever, because they rhyme with all of those other sequences where he's on the other side of the window, mm. Yeah, and he plays with the sound, and who gets to listen, and who doesn't, and manipulates yeah, it, and orchestrates the the situation from the other side.
0: Um, they have that feeling of like... In something like *V for Vendetta*, when kind of people, when there's there's someone on a massive screen talking to you, and that's like the boss. Yeah. I mean, *V for Vendetta* is not the only one. In fact, it happens in the *Avengers* films where there's like that Council of leaders that Nick Fury mm. uh, addresses at times, and you know it has that feeling of like the
1: Council of of, of elders. Yes. About well, it. the film has ma- the film has many shots like that that are filmed through the two way mirror, reflections on the two way mirror, or yeah, the kind of like reframes and all the decision makers, mm. you know, uh, are on one side of the screen. Um, and it's very clever and it's very effective. I think there are very clever moments of direction, right? So the scene where Guy Pierce shoots the guy in the elevator and then the door opens and the shot is held on his face, mm. right? And you have this moment of suspense where you think there might have been somebody else in the lifts he killed, Mm -hmm. right you know (laughs) and then but actually you're never shown you're never given the answer to that Mm. yeah so you're made to think that there's something wrong with that or there's a potential for something wrong with that and then the camera never cuts to what what he sees yeah in the list yeah so I thought that was kind of clever um but I also think there's nothing visually astonishing about the film
0: no I agree I agree with that um and that's sort of what I was looking for. In fact, what I was looking for was something along the lines of To Live and Die in L.A. Ah. You know, I didn't feel that sense of L.A. as a character in itself, at least not visually. Ah. <laughs> there were There were icons, you know, iconic buildings and, and things that you saw.
1: Yes. I think but, you do. Well, I do. I did get the sense of that, of L.A. as a character in the film. Mm. For sure. You know, that modern house, you know, the mansion where mm. the rich guy lives. Um you know, the nightclubs of the period, the cinemas, the oil wells going up and down that mm. you, you actually see. I don't know if you remember in A Star is Born, right? But, you know, Judy Garland has a lot of the uh, monologue with the um, James Mason as an oil well, kind of, you know, mm. goes up and down in the background. So that evokes L.A. and the L.A. of a particular period. You know, uh, again, you know, the, the women on, the waitresses on roller skates, yeah, mm. kind of, you know, the drive-ins. Yeah. And, I mean, there is a real sense of, you know, L.A. is a character in the film. You wouldn't have had the glamour or the levels of corruption or the levels of drugs and sex if it wasn't L.A. You know, you wouldn't, mm. yeah? Like, well, I it think would the be thing... the same if it was, like, in, in you know, Portland, Oregon <laughs> or something, right? Um, um, I think the thing
0: that most uh, evokes that feeling of L.A. as a character to me, based on the kind of, really, the the... the, the images and stereotypes I already have of it's not like I've been there mm. you know um would be the relationship between the police and celebrity um yes. yeah that's not I think something that you would get in in New York for instance you get a relationship between the police and politics and business
1: well you might get mm. it in New York but you almost wouldn't get it anywhere else sure yeah yeah um yeah you would get it in New York because you know like if you see um What's the film uh, with Bird Lancaster and Tony Curtis? The noir, where he plays a gossip columnist. But, yeah, I'll Lancaster, look it up. Yeah, look oh. it up. It's like fifty six, fifty eight, something like that. Sweet smell of success. Sweet smell of success, right? Uh, Burt Lancaster plays a really corrupt gossip columnist who's, mm-hmm. who's got the cops in his pockets and. You know, Tony Curtis is a press agent trying to get his clients' names in the column. Right. And in order to do that, he's got to do all kinds of sleazy things for the columnist, right? Um, so you do, you do get a sense of, you know, that okay. kind of combination of celebrity uh, and law um, in, 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 in New York. But obviously, it's not, you know, L.A. is Hollywood. Exactly. Right. Um, so it's, it's at its most intense uh, there. Um, that was all very pleasurable to me to see you know if you're interested in films you know the whole setting is kind of like an an added pleasure uh, on its own really um but there's something about the film I'm trying to think why isn't it great you know (laughs) yeah like I mean Mm. it's good I enjoyed it very much but you know to me it's not a great noir um is it overly complex? In no, not at all, actually. I, th- I would say the opposite, yeah. It's too simple. But I think it is too simple. Bloody yeah, hell, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, but the view of the characters is too pat. Mm. So everybody has their motivation and their reasons, right? And the thing about the great noirs is that they're always ambiguous and conflicting. Mm. Yeah, kind of, you know, people often do lousy things because they're people, because they might be a bit too greedy, but only at the wrong time, they're, you know, often they're like, or whatever, right? Here, it's like everybody is given a motivation and a reason and, you know, and it's sort of really neatly explained and, mm. you know, I mean, you know, in the way that the best noirs are, maybe in a better noir, you know, the Kim Bassinger character would have ended up as a hooker because she loved to fuck, Right, and you know, whatever, like, you know, there could be a million reasons why you would do that rather than just, mm. you know, the cliched one of you went to become a film star and then you you know, you ended up a hooker and you you know. Yeah, I mean Kim Basinger was fantastic, but the conceptualization of the character is a bit of a cliche. I mean the only novelty that it has is that it draws on that history of lookalike movie stars, right? Mm. You know.
0: And it's the visual dimension I think that you picked up on. I do think, as appealing as some of the look is, I like the way things, I like the way scenes are staged when you have conversations. I think that's quite interesting, and it's all about looks and who's addressing who and that sort of thing. But it's there's something quite workaday about the way it's filmed.
1: There is. I mean, you know, what you remember, certainly what I remembered about the film was the look of the actors. Mm. You know, particularly Kim Basinger, actually. You know, kind of. You, you remember her wearing that hood and looking so beautiful, right? And, of course, that's an image, yeah? But, actually, it's her that makes the image almost, yeah? Mm. It's not necessarily, you know, kind of the filmmakers giving you this really memorable kind of yeah. image. I mean, it is, but... It is, but it isn't, because, you know, what you remember about the film, really, or what I remember, anyway, is the the faces of actors yeah uh, so Kim Basinger and for me um, Russell Crowe <laughs>
0: you love him you lo- uh, it's
1: 23 years ago and he's looking very trim
0: and young well actually, and as I you say as you say this is the film that made him yeah
1: I don't I've grown now to love him actually but you know he's just really great in this actually there's no way I'm getting around it really
0: yeah so um, what about Kevin Spacey we've not addressed him His, this, I think this is probably the first Kevin Spacey film We've watched. And, yeah.
1: um Three years ago. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because this will wear out, you know, uh, things will change. But for the time being, you can't look at him without the child. Well, child molestation is maybe. That's too far. It's too uh, far. I think the accusations
0: were about coming onto and trying to pull. Uh, underage people, like thirteen, fourteen years old, yeah. at parties, things like that. That's yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, you're right. You know, um, but anyway, you can't help looking at, you can't help thinking about that when you look at him, mm. really. So uh, just like when Rock Hudson first died, and you know he had AIDS and he came out, it's almost like you couldn't watch Rock Hudson film without responding to what you knew about, what you knew about the character, replaced the characterization. In this film, it wasn't so bad. And actually, you could see how he is really terrific, right?
0: Yeah, no, I, mean, th- I think we agreed when we were watching it. You said, it's a shame we lost him. Yes. <laughs> he's a very good actor.
1: Yeah. You know. uh, mind you, he's playing like a complete sleaze, <laughs> yeah, scumbags. scumbag. So, yeah. Uh, uh, Although it
0: goes against what I would have expected, because I was the whole time, really, I was going, oh, he's obviously the source of this corruption. And yes. he turns out not to be. And actually, he... Um, he he's obviously been corrupted to some degree by the police. He says he's forgotten why he's a policeman, and he uh, has this deal with Danny De to to bust people, bust high profile people for the papers and so on. Mm. Um, but you know he goes on to do the right thing, and and doing the right thing gets him killed. Yes.
1: Um, you know another thing that I was thinking about that is a sign of how this very good film is not up to the highest standard yeah and that is the Danny DeVito characterization because he's such a joy to watch Danny DeVito and he he brings life and zest and you know to 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 all his scenes Mm. though you know he's meant to be a corrupt and corrupting character who really doesn't care much about the rest right but actually his death is not made emotional or significant
0: it was for me but that's just because I saw dead Danny Tavito and I went, oh. Well... I mean, that's really all it was. I had such a soft spot for him. Well, I love him.
1: But actually, the film doesn't bring <laughs> any tragic dimension or it doesn't convey any more meaning. It's almost like, you know, he was a bit of a slime ball, so he dies. But actually, the film could have brought... Yeah, and I think the you know, the character deserves something else to be made of, that death. Right? Mm. You just get, like, a long shot of him... Looking grey on the floor. I mean, please, you know. it's yeah. it's,
0: it's. He's it's, killed because he's a loose end. Yeah. And you, and there's nothing to really feel bad for him about in the sense that he's not a good person, but the film doesn't do anything with it. It just it go, it happens and it goes. Yes, I yeah. mean, uh,
1: which I think is is, it's also bad showmanship, you know. Yeah. To have a character that brings so much life and just throw it away at the end. Yeah, You know, you could have made something out of that death or conveyed something. Uh, so, yeah. And it doesn't convey enough about
0: the people who do it either yeah. because, because you don't really feel for him. It's just, it's an easy character to kill off with yes. no kind of doesn't tell you enough about the people who are doing it. Oh, they're willing to do that. Well, I mean, who wouldn't be willing to kill that guy? He's, like, he's not a nice person. Someone's going to kill yes. him one day.
1: Um, <laughs> and he himself has been responsible for the death of, the, of that actor. Yeah. So, but you could have done more with that, really. I, I, or at least made it more complex, right? Or challenged the audience emotion. Or, you know, brought out the full scumbag, you know, at the end, right? Like, and pleading for his life. The, the, you know... I think the character deserved a, a, a more significant ending. Mm. And it's a lack of imagination and a on the filmmaker's part that he didn't draw it out or yeah. convey it. Uh,
0: Up until he dies, though, he's great. I said to you that no one does... Danny Vita does better than anyone else. Someone who smells opportunity yeah, chases it down. I yeah. love that. And there's a bit in The Rainmaker, which is the Francis Ford Coppola yes. uh, uh, legal it, yeah. drama, where... Um, they're having the, they're having the, the meeting outside, I think, with the judge, or whatever, the deposition, and there are people around, like, behind the fence, looking at this happening, and he goes up to them, and he's just handing out business cards. <laughs> you know, I think someone's got a broken arm, and he says, I can get you some money for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. He's like, a, like an 11-year-old kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and not really you sure. Yeah. Um, all right, so any last words? I did like it, and I'm glad I've seen it. I don't think I was as blown away as I mean, the film... it's always been one of those in the back of your head yes like it's it stands out and it seems to mark something about the time it comes from i guess something like that and it's a film that that was at the beginning of some actors sort of stardom
1: yes all Um, three of them i would say because i mean obviously kevin spacey had already made an impact but i do think it's the film that made russell crowe and it's the film that brought guy pierce up to another level and it's the film that Kim Basinger won the Oscar for after, you know, having yeah. hung around Hollywood for, you know, 15, 20 years previously. So, so it's a very significant film in a way. It is a landmark film. I just don't think it's, uh, it ranks amongst the greatest of L.A. noirs. Not a patch on Chinatown, let's put it that way. No, no. It's in the Library of Congress, isn't it? There's one of those, you know, culturally, historically, aesthetically um, significant.
0: Sorry, National Film Registry. Yes. So it's,
1: it's one of those you Know it's it's lasted right, yeah. so that makes it a kind of a kind of classic of its own. You know, films that still continue to be watched 20, 30, 40 years later, I mean, you have to give them their due, they're you know, they continue to be seen for a reason. And I think this film f- fits that criteria. Uh, it's just not, you know,
0: no. I do think I, I, I've seen this and I've seen Eight Mile of Curtis Hanson's. so there's a whole you know, kind of lots and lots of films that, that I'm missing, but. On the basis of those two,
1: it's hard to see him as a great director. I mean, I've seen that. I've seen, I forgot what was called, Women on the Window or something in the Window. And Bad Influence, The the Hand That Rocks the Cradle, is it?
0: There's The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. There's The Bedroom Window. The
1: Bedroom Window.
0: Bad Influence.
1: Yeah, and they're all very good noirs, actually. Um, But again... You know, they're very good, and they made an impact, and they have that glamour, actually, you know, and that look. But, you know, I kind of, um, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I know. You do sort of think what Freaking would have done with this material. of everything, Or even John Dahl, you yeah. know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, for me it's not quite up there. Though it's a very glamorous uh, and pleasant uh, watch. And enormously successful thirty million million. Yes, in 1997 dollars. So, mm.
0: um, Alright, yeah. shall we
1: wrap it up here? Yeah. Right, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on... Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube
0: and I think Amazon. And Google Podcasts as well. Wow, we I get around. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, the social media is Facebook and Twitter at eavesdropmovies. Um, And our website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye.